Hey everybody, Merry Christmas Eve and welcome to Throwback Thursday. You're catching me fireside, uh, sitting here, taking a breath and uh, just kind of reflecting on the year. John and I have had some amazing conversations this week and we have some incredible episodes uh, coming to you in 2021 and obviously to finish out 2020. But we just want to say we hope that you get a chance to take a breath and maybe you're able to spend some family time over the next few days and weeks. Uh, and we can put this 2020 behind us and hopefully sail into brighter seas and uh, calmer seas, I guess I should say, and brighter sun and um, more calm waters. So anyway, here's to getting this one past us and looking forward to a great 2021. Uh, we wish all you the best. We really appreciate uh, you listening this year and hanging out with us. And we can't wait uh, to bring you some of the stuff we have planned for 2021. So thanks, everybody. This episode is with Cheetah Basseau. She was an amazing conversation. She's an incredible influencer. You should follow her on Instagram at Cheetah Basseau. And um, without any further ado, enjoy the episode. And I remember thinking one day, oh, wow, that would be a dream someday to be considered a hair colorist, like an award-winning hair colorist. That I just thought that would just take so long. Um, it's going to take like 20 years, but wow, that would just be amazing to just be so great at color, at hair coloring. And like. Hi everybody, welcome to the Shop Talk Podcast brought to you by 124 I'm your co-host Chris Suleiman, and as usual, sitting here with my great bud, Mr. John Palmieri. And we have a wicked good guest. Just incredible. Like, I don't even know how we keep getting people like this to agree to talk to us, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we do have a wicked special guest today. And so we were just out at Th Thrive Sessions uh, with mm -hmm. Sally Rogerson a few weeks Phoenix, ago. Phoenix, Arizona. And it was amazing. We had mm -hmm. some really nice weather mm -hmm. um, and met some amazing people. And you've heard from a few of them already in recent, well, unless we put this one first, which we don't really know what will happen with that. Right. But um, if you haven't heard, we were out at Thrive Sessions and we've had um, conversations so far with Dennis Gepard. Mm -hmm. We had um, uh, John, John Rawson, Rawson which yep. was amazing. Um, if you haven't listened to that one yet or if it's coming, uh, no, it's already out. Mm -hmm. That one's already out. Yep. So, um, yeah, check those out because those were two great conversations. But we met, you know, as, as we, w one of the things we love about going to hair shows and being in the mix it are the people that you get to meet that mm -hmm. are special that you didn't think you were going to run into. Um, we kind of had a hint about this person because Cheetah Basseau, who are, we are sitting across the computer screen from, uh, was doing some promoting of the Thrive event a mm -hmm. couple of days before, and right. she was kind of giving shout-outs to a lot of the educators that were going to be there, which was really awesome of you, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and But we got a chance to meet her and really – you know, I don't think we're ever surprised anymore when we meet somebody that's doing some awesome things, but you know, it was like a, another pleasant surprise to go, wow, here's another person that I hadn't met or heard of yet. Mm -hmm. Who's doing some extraordinary things in her own work at the salon, as well as 
sharing um, and out there teaching yep. and like, you know, just ta- really taking the industry to a whole nother level as it relates to creativity and kind of what's possible for, a, if I can say this, a seasoned vet. I think there's a lot of people that get stagnant throughout their career. And mm-hmm. then there's some people that just decide, you know, I'm going to, I'm doing this thing. I'm in it to win it. Yeah. And, you know, um, that's, that's the, the vibe that I got from you, Cheetah. So first of all, welcome. And thanks for, thanks for sitting here with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So, you know, you and I can ramble for a long time. Well, you know, I want to touch base on the surprise thing, you know, I think what's great about visiting all these different events, and you use the word surprise, it's almost, I'm going to use the word gift, because it's not like a surprise like we don't expect it. It's just that, man, every time you open up one of these little gifts, right, every time we meet somebody like Cheetah um, who shows us what's going on in the industry, it's just kind of like, ah, thank God we came, because otherwise we would have missed this. So, you know, that's how I look at Cheetah. It's like, thank God we went, otherwise we would have missed her. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And so... Well, thank um, you. Yeah, no, it's re- it's really great. So, with that said, yeah, um, let's find out about Cheetah. Absolutely. So, Cheetah. why don't you lead us out? Yeah, my favorite question is: I want to know how people got into the industry because I always find that really interesting. Uh, you know, and it's the thing also that connects all of us. So, why hairdressing? How did this industry happen to you? What? How'd you get here? Um, so, you know, growing up, I was really um, artistically, I want to say, challenged because I was always competing with my older brother who was just gifted. And I was always just striving to be better than him. I couldn't draw like him, but I could paint and I could color. And my mom really pushed me to do whatever it was like hobby and crafts just to keep me busy and to kind of shut me up. Um, <laughs> so when I was in high school, she was really pushing me to go to beauty school. And I was like, that's so stupid. I don't want to do hair. Even though I was coloring my own hair and coloring my friend's hairs and chopping hair off and all that, <laughs> like, I don't want to do hair. And I, I'm, when I say that, I mean, like, I was like, that is stupid. And I would like yeah. to share that because now look at me. It's like what I breathe, eat, and sleep is hair. Um, so I went to beauty school and I actually dropped out at 19. Um, and life took over and I had kids, um, I had two kids and I was a single mom and I had to make things work. Um, so I actually did business accounting for car dealerships for about eight years. Um, I, yeah. And I learned everything from payroll taxes. I can tear apart a car, um, contract for you. I know who's making what, um, paying the bills, everything. And I just got really bored with that, of course. Um, I got into some trouble because I would like, you know, a very nonchalant, very, I don't stress out. I really just make the most of every moment in my life. Mm -hmm. So they'd be like, you're not taking this seriously. There's deadlines. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting it done, you know? So (laughs) I I realized that wasn't like the path that I wanted to go. It's too high strung for me. And at that time, I wanted to go back and do hair. I I was like, maybe I should just do hair. Still not seeing the artistic side of it. Um, But I flipped a coin one day because a friend of mine, her husband had told me that um, I should go and be a correctional officer and that they need women. And I was like, there's no way I'm gonna be hired as a correctional officer. 
Um, yeah. Somebody told me, no, you would get hurt, all this stuff. And the minute somebody told me I couldn't do it, I, I was like, maybe I can, you know? Yeah. Um, but I still wanted to do hair. But the thing that was tearing me apart from like, you know, making that decision to do go back to school and do hair was that I had two daughters that were like 10 and 11 at the time. And I didn't want to not be there um, with them during that crucial time. I needed dependent, you know, to be dependent on like benefits, the things that hairstyling doesn't bring, you know, um, per se. And um, so I flipped a coin. I couldn't make the decision myself. I flipped a coin. The coin flipped to go apply to be a correctional officer. And I'm like, well, I mean, the worst thing that could happen is I don't get hired. But I did. I did get hired. <laughs> I found myself in the academy training, fighting these huge guys, you know, learning to shoot guns. And one day I realized I'm in this green cotton jumpsuit in a prison. And, but honestly, when I was in the prison, I was watching people do hair. <laughs> like I'm sitting in my unit bubble watching men braid each other's hair. Yeah. You know, I'm watching the Samoan men brush out their beautiful, long Hawaiian hair. I mean, I know they're thinking I'm looking at them, but I'm really looking at the hair, you guys. Right. Um, I would see girls like thread each other's eyebrows in prison. Um, I mean, I really was just sitting there getting inspired and like I started, <laughs> to, see, um, I started to see people's survival skills, but like people that were condemned for like life and how they would get up every day and like their job was maybe to garden or to pick up or to clean up or to do something around the prison. And I realized like, they still have the will to get up and do things, you know, every day. And there's a lot of people on the outside that don't, that don't do the most and make the most of what they have. And I realized this isn't the place for me, obviously. Um, and I, I have the option to do whatever I want in my life. And I told my husband, I said, I'm gonna go back to school and I'm gonna do hair. <clears throat> so I had met my husband actually in prison. He was not an inmate. He was a guard. <laughs> he was a guard. Yeah. And um, I told him and I said, I, he said, why do you wanna do this? And I said, well, I wanna do hair because I know that now I have you and we'll be financially okay as far as, you know, health insurance. And I have somebody there on my team to help support me. Um, and my girls were a little bit older. They were um, high school age at that point. And um, I just said, you know, it's going to make me happy. I'm going to be able to work for myself. I'm going to be able to make the same amount of money I'm making working at the prison. And it's just, I just feel like I'll be in a happier place. I just want to be happy. I want to be around happy people. I don't want to, you know. And um, so what I did was I went on graveyard shifts, saved up my money for a year so that I could not work for a year and go back to um, hair school. And that's what I did. Now, when I was in hair school, it was really hard for me um, to actually learn to trust people again, because I had been working in an environment that, you know, you're taught to like close down walls and not be open. So I really had to work on that my first couple of years um, in hair school and getting out. And I actually went to assist at this wonderful salon um, 
and they had a great um, assistant program and they let me go on commission and like just build me up and actually encourage we had education like almost every weekend um, I had great mentors throughout the whole salon um, and me being older because I was I think 36 at the time um, going back and just a very humbling experience but I was ready for for it and I was everything about it was just made me so happy you know so like I went from prison to like this beautiful high-end salon and it was I've just yeah. I just made it happen I mean I'm just sitting here going <laughs> I know I've talk about surprises yeah, I was like I was you are a prison guard yeah yeah <laughs> because if, if you haven't met Cheetah in person and obviously you can't see her through I, a podcast you're petite I wouldn't have put prison yeah. guard like no. in my top 10 yeah. what do you what have you done for the living in the past yeah prison guard wasn't on top no now, it wasn't even in the top five yeah yeah yeah, yeah. now now astronaut possibly mm -hmm. you know NASA. But you met your husband there, so hey. Yeah. You know, that who, coin who, flip could have left you single. How many other yeah. people could meet, you know, could say they met their husband in prison? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's such a, <laughs> you know, cool and interesting thing, right? Yeah. That's uh, an awesome story. Thank you for that. It is. I mean, and it I feel like it gives a lot of hope to I mean, look, you were 36 years old when you went to cosmetology school, and we have people and I don't mean us at Salon 124 group, mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, there there are people, and we do, of course, mm -hmm. that have 10 years experience at 36 years old mm -hmm. and feel maybe a little hopeless. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how can I reinvent myself? I've been doing this for, you know, and here it is, you hadn't even started yet. Right. And in, I don't know how long, how long ago has that been? Um, so it was 2011 when I um, graduated cosmetology school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so from, I mean, from 2011 until now, mm -hmm. I mean, you've been able to, you know, blossom into a full on career. And, and I guess the point I'm making is, you know, if you can do that coming from, I was a, I was a car accountant, um, to a prison guard, to a prison guard. And, and now I was able to rebirth myself again. Mm -hmm in a successful career, I just think it, you know, if I'm listening, I go, wow, yeah. you know, maybe I do still have a shot at this thing if I want to brush the dust off and, mm -hmm. you know, and get rolling. I want to, you know, you brought something up that I want to touch on just a minute if I could. You talked about the trust piece. And I think that's maybe something we take as hairdressers, we take for granted, right? Because we haven't had that experience of being in an environment where you've got to put walls up. You've got to protect yourself. I get that. Um, Talk about what that journey was like, because I'm sure, I mean, I don't know that I would have been intellectually aware enough to realize that I was at one place and had to be at another, but obviously you did. How did, how did that journey take place for you? Oh, I mean, well, cosmetology school in itself, it doesn't matter what age you are, <laughs> it is what it is. There's just a whole lot. Um, creative and, you know, aspiring um, people, you know, um, I was learning there, but my walls were up, you know, um, but I was very inspired and, um, you know, whether we will like know it or not, everything around us inspires us um, and we bring it with us like in our work, you know. So 
I think what happened, I stuck to like a little group of people, like a couple of friends in cosmetology school. And when I found the salon, when I graduated, I found the salon that I wanted to work at. Everybody was just so friendly and just, and all I could think of was, you know, I still had those walls up, like, what do they want? What, you know, because that's what we're taught. Like, what do they want? What's their motive? It's been something that I've really had to work on. And especially when it came to clients, um, I really think I have it really tuned, finely tuned in because now, because I actually let my clients be who they are and I let them talk and I take it back to like the car dealership days too. Um, I learned something from the car salesman. They would always say, um, how to close a deal, um, how to close a deal. Whoever speaks first loses. <laughs> You know, um, if, and in a conversation, it is like dating. So when your client's in your chair, you let them do the talking because they've, you know, they've done statistics on this where whoever talks the most during a date is the one who says they had the best time, the best date. And whoever, you know, the person who didn't get to talk or get a word in is like, my God, all she, she wouldn't shut yeah. up. All she did was talk. Right. Are you listening? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's why I don't go on dates. <laughs> I'm sure to lose that battle. <laughs> Just be quiet and listen, you know? So I um, when, and I learned how to redirect, like when your clients come in and they want to talk about all the negative stuff, I redirect it to all the good stuff and get them to talk about something good. But I really, really focus on the client, letting them talk, um, redirecting it. And then it, it, it kind of is my little tactic of keeping myself out of it. Now, when they want to ask things about me, um, I have learned to like open up. I really have. And, um, I still, what I do is I keep it professional. I love my clients, but I don't go hang out with them. I will go to, um, a child's birthday or like a shower you know things like that that are family oriented but i'm not out i'm in vegas so i'm not out drinking partying with my clients um i i just keep that fine line because i know i keep that fine line of professionalism but because i'm in vegas you guys it's kind of yeah. it's kind of different i have clients of every different background yeah. and um especially since moving into my suite um the about a year and a half ago, things have opened up a lot more. And I think it works for me for now because um, I did notice them opening up a lot more and um, becoming, feeling freer to like talk about things. And I just let them. Um, I have clients that are dancers, real dancers. I have clients that are strippers. The other kind of dancer. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have clients that are um, school teachers. I have a lot of school teachers. I have lawyers. Of housewives, I have clients that are prostitutes because that is legal in certain counties of Nevada, um, and they all open up to me. I mean, if I could have a podcast that they would like <laughs> allow, <laughs> I, but I would never ask my clients to do that, you know. But I'm just saying, like, and they all tell me one thing: they say, you know, you don't judge me. Now, some of them know what I used to do. Some of them don't, but I don't judge them. And I make sure they know that. I don't, I feel like I'm going to 
be talking a lot, so I'm just going to say that in advance. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of similarities working in Tampa, Florida, mm-hmm. as as there, you know, would be in Vegas. There's a, there's a pretty open market for some of the uh, career decisions mm-hmm. that you just discussed. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it, and it is a really, I think there's a really important, again, I'm going to say starting as a 36-year-old at the time, I feel like there's a little life experience and maturity to where you can, you know, you might've had a little head start in going, you know what, look, this is a friendly business, but Mm -hmm. you know, I have a family, I have friends, you know, that's not what this is. This is a business thing. I think there's a lot of people that in the first 10 years of their career, if you know, they start in their early mid twenties, they get caught up in, it's fun. Mm Mm-hmm. We meet a lot of fun people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of personal exchanges, especially if you're not mature enough to know mm-hmm. you. It's you know you need to hold some of that in or put up a bound. I, I don't want to call it a wall, but I'll call it a a, a healthy career boundary, yeah, if you boundaries. will. Yeah. Right. Um, and what's so great about what you just said, unsolicited by either of us, mm-hmm. is we don't talk about that enough, actually. I don't think that professionalism, that, that, that boundary, as you just said. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. That was one of the things that you identified right away after being asked about trust, because trust and professional boundaries, you know, I, th- I think can even be two. You could sort of separate those. Well, I think what's nice about what you said, Cheetah, is I think for most stylists and I'll put myself in this category, right? We think that the more we share, the more we're going to get right. If I tell everybody about everything in my life and, you know, and by the way, I'm, I'm not that person. Right. But, Same. you know, um, if you were to tell everybody everything about you and then then they're your friends and then they can never leave you. And yet you've built, it sounds to me like a very loyal following from people who genuinely care for you. And yet you did the opposite. You maintained a professional and healthy boundary between your relationship as their stylist and your relationship with them outside of that. And I think that's a valuable lesson for a lot of us who are trying to figure out how do we make that connection? Mm -hmm. How do we build a client base? How do we get people to be loyal to us? Guess what? It isn't about you, right? It's about letting people be themselves and being open and and listening. You know, one thing I noticed too, because um, when I worked in the prison, I worked in a women's prison at one point and I worked in an all men's prison. Um, I learned a lot about myself as a woman (laughs) in both circumstances. And um, it's something I can kind of never undo. Uh, I'm trying, but um, what I did learn and I brought it in with me was, and I noticed a lot of young stylists doing this, was when you get a man in your chair as a female and you get a man in your chair, the, the young girl stylists would think, and not just young ones, just yeah, maybe just young ones, um, <laughs> would think that they needed to flirt or express more of their female, um, you know, yeah. with these men to get them to like them and to get them to flirt with them and maybe to tip them and maybe to be more, you know, loyal to them. And that's the one thing I never did. Um, from day one doing hair. I actually did, I do men's hair, just so you know. I do, um, and I remember the first day on commission when they asked me to do a men's haircut, you know, all the girls run 
but brave little me, I was like, I could do this. I worked in a prison. I could. So I like, <laughs> I YouTubed a, hair, a men's haircut really quick in the back room. And I was like, I got this. And then um, I went out there and I cut his hair and I didn't show any cleavage. <laughs> I didn't flirt with him. Um, I actually looked at him as I would a women's updo. And I thought, I am going to create the perfect silhouette that fits your head and make you look like handsome as hell. So all of the girls are gonna want you. That was my mentality. You know, he showed me what he wanted, but I'm like, I'm gonna do that, but I'm gonna, you know, make it perfect for your shape head. Sure. Mm -hmm. And um, I've never flirted with him, and I've seen some bad things that come out of that. Um, if a man comes in and tries to flirt with me, I pull out my little prison face and I'm like, no, you know, I, I got that. No, it ain't no guy going to come in and do that with me. I want to see the prison face, by the way, before the podcast definitely, is over. Definitely. It's a poker face and I just look at them. I make them feel very small if they try to flirt with me. <laughs> I, it's, it's like no bullshit. And, you know, guys get it. Guys get it. And they either don't book or they book because they're like, hey, she could handle me, you know? Um, I've had guys say, really, you're going to wear, you're going to wear that today. Like, why don't you wear something? I'm like, look, if you want eye candy, go pay for it at the strip club. Cause I'm not right. the one. It's interesting that you're bringing this up now. Yeah. And the reason that it's interesting is because right now in our salons, we're going through a, a hospitality refresh is what I'm going to call it. You know, we've got six locations and we're really working this year on elevating our hospitality, you know, because we charge what we charge, but I want the customers, we all want the customers to feel like it was worth it, right? So how do we increase that level of hospitality? And the point to this is, is we were having this meeting last Monday and we were talking about the consultation and talking about the questions that you ask. And I'm talking like I always talk and one of the girls in the room, one of the women in the room said, yeah, but how do you say it so guys don't think you're flirting with them? And I was like, I had to stop for a minute. And I was like, is that really a thing? Yeah, and I she didn't was know like, that was a thing either, to tell she, you the truth. And she said, yeah. She goes, if I say it like, you know, if I'm being hospitable, I can say what we're asking you to say to a woman. If I say that to a man, he's going to think I'm flirting with him. I was like, okay, well, it's fine. Let's change the verbiage. Right. But I don't know that I necessarily would have put that into context at that moment yeah. if she didn't bring it up. And then now you're bringing it up too, so... What I'm saying is the universe is speaking to me. Yeah, no, right? it's a bit. It's obviously a big deal. A lot of guys take advantage, like try to take advantage of young girls, you know, in that case, like the young commission stylist, it's happened, you know, and fortunately I was strong enough to like cut that out. I have some very loyal um, men that are my clients and I know their wives and it's just never been an issue, you know, it's just straight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you put the poker face on. That's awesome. Hey, everybody, hope you're enjoying this so far. Just wanted to cut in for a brief second here. Uh, salon owners and managers, or maybe you're a hairdresser that has a salon owner that you would love to help uh, possibly give that person a nudge. We are kicking off our first four-day intensive workshop. It's for salon owners and managers where we're going to be basically going over, actually deep diving into all of the you know most common challenges that salon owners have that keep them from growing their salon and getting to you know the desired place that they want to be you know reaching their goals maybe a profitable business or maybe it's growing a larger team or maybe it's just you know helping people out as they get into the industry 
Um, that'll be February the 23rd through the 26th. Kuhn Hair Cosmetics has been kind enough to allow us to use their space in Atlanta. So it'll be easy access to get in and get out. And it's in a great area of town in Buckhead if you have never been there. But uh, you're going to get to spend four days with Brian Purdue, myself, John Palmieri, um, and some of the 124Go team. Definitely be a game-changing four days if you're a salon owner who's ready to get really serious, whether it's you're opening your first location, whether you're trying to expand to multiple locations. Um, the team has experience doing all of that, and uh, you know we, we know that you'll get uh, we know that you'll have a life-changing experience. So, anyway, if you want some more information about that, email us at info at 124go.com. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. Um, so to to kind of like fast forward a little, give us a snapshot of your story from from then until now. And like, because you've I mean, you've gone you went from I'm a new person, you know, starting out a new career to you're I know you're an educator. Um, I know that you've you know, you somehow took on the social media world and and have had success there. Um, I know that you're a fashion, it looks like anyway, from your branding, you're a fashion color uh, specialist, if you will. Um, and I know there's things that come along with that. So kind of catch us up as to how that happened and um, how did maybe how did you get an education, maybe how the fashion color, whichever one of those topics you feel like is is relevant for you. Um, so as, as I said, I would, you know, did a lot of classes, um, a lot of education from all my mentors in the salon and we had outside education. We had Sally come in. We had, um, okay. So let me get to the point. So when I was assisting, I, um, on a side, you know, side job, I was, cause I'm in Vegas. I did a lot of freelance hair styling, um, for weddings, um, you know, just events that were going, that are always going on here in Vegas. And I did it for free. I did it for little pay and people judged me, you know, because I was working in a high-end salon, like people who made more money than me, like, we're like, you got to charge more, but you know what? That experience opened doors to so many different opportunities and I started getting paid. So I started taking pictures of it and posting it on my Instagram. And I'm at this time, I'm still assisting. Mm -hmm. And so my mentor actually noticed that I did really great updos. And that's the one thing in a salon most people run from. So all these seasoned stylists started handing down prom, um, prom gigs, um, wedding gigs, event gigs to me, and I'm assisting. So I start making money. So when I went on commission, um, I already have like a portfolio and I'm the go-to, one of the new go-tos in the salon. So when these people send new clients who are coming into town for weddings um, or had have just moved there or a sister of somebody or a mother of somebody and they see what I do, they start booking with me for their color, for their blowouts. And I just turned them over and that's how I built my clientele. Um, so I was really, really into, um, and I still am like styling. I love styling, hairstyling. Um, 
that is one thing I keep taking education on. Um, I keep taking education on everything. That's just kind of like my heart right there because you're just using your hands. You're just using some tools. Um, I mean, it can get as creative as you want. Um, and it goes back to my mom giving me things when I was little from like hobby and crafts. Um, I was a big weaver. My mom had me weaving these little pot holders. <laughs> she had me weaving all this stuff just to keep me busy. So I brought that into my- I, I can kind of see, I can see that on your page. Like I'm kind of like looking at your page as you're talking and I'm seeing a lot of the weaving stuff go on. I mean, this really cool looks like a it look it looks kind of like a um a dream catcher on the back of somebody's head almost you know it's like this amazing design so yeah i mean it's 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 incredible by the way i'm going to give you a quick plug uh on instagram it's at cheetah c h i t a b e s e a u uh, on Instagram. So if you're listening to this and you're, and you're curious, you want to see some of this work, uh, you should definitely check it out. I just wanted to give you that quick shout as we were kind of going through that. Keep going. Sorry to interrupt. My one thing back when I was just, you know, hairstyling and, and doing some color, um, it was still just, you know, um, blondes. The girl that um, was my mentor was really good with blondes. So I kind of got really good at that early on in my career. And um, I saw a contest one day online because, you know, at that time I was building my um, Instagram and companies were starting to notice me for like my hairstyling and I would enter hairstyling competitions on Instagram. Um, and I saw a color one for Pravana and these fashion colors, these direct dyes were like just so bright and vibrant and like um, just so like fantasy, you know? out of this world and it was like coloring. It was like painting to me. And I wanted to enter this contest and I got a model and I created this color, um, this color pattern of, it was the shine line that a lot of people are doing. And I saw it, you know, in photography where when the light hits the curvature of your head and the shine. So that was my inspiration to do something like that, but to actually paint color on those areas of the head that I knew I would curl or, or that the head was curving. And um, I had so much fun with it and I got so much great feedback when I posted it from everyone in the salon. And I remember thinking one day, oh wow, that would be a dream someday to be considered a hair colorist, like an award-winning hair colorist that I just thought that would just take so long. Um, it's gonna take like 20 years, but wow, that would just be amazing to just be so great at color and hair coloring. And like, it just seemed like, you know, another language to me at the time. Um, but you know what? I just kept getting these models in, like that's what happened. And then people started like, you know, DMing me or calling me to get that color. Um, and that was just like the greatest feeling. But then I got noticed by, um, brands at this time, you know, because I'm just hashtagging, I'm just hashtagging entering contests. So brands, you know, are reposting me and um, I'm making all these relationships with people just online. I was going to hair shows. Um, we got, I got invited. I want to say it was in 2016. Um, I got invited to do independent education at the Long Beach hair show with a friend of mine. And 
we were up there. Um, we had, I think it was three days, um, and our class was like filled and we did independent education. I learned so much from that opportunity. I had done previous education, like, um, helped out in the, you know, prep room with different brands. And, um, the owner of the salon that I was at had actually encouraged me to do education for the salon for, you know, before that. And I did, I taught the other commission stylists, my braiding techniques, some updos. Um, I had taught color. So she kind of planted that seed and encouraged me. So I had that, um, practice and that background. So I was able to get on stage at Long Beach and, you know, teach my own independent, um, class. But a lot of people ask me like, how do you just do that? And I would tell them, you know, I just think like, okay, look, I've, I've served me, I've unlocked, um, prison cells <laughs> and handed trays to people on death row. Um, I've taken care of a yard of 250 women on my own and told them to all lock up. Like, if I can do that, I can do anything. I just like, <laughs> or, like put it back into perspective. Like I just use that. The other thing that this, the, the, it kind of reminds me of something that you and I talk about a lot, John, mm -hmm. which is the back work behind mm -hmm. that you had to do. Mm -hmm. And in all honesty, you know, that prison yard work is very relevant mm -hmm. here. Yeah. You know, it's like when you can pull on the strength of. Can we require all our stylists to spend one year as a prison guard before I, we hire them? Cheetah, can you hook us up? Is there a, <laughs> is there a local prison person that you know you that. Know, cause I could, think that's a great lesson yeah, could, we could all. Could get them all jobs. Yeah. 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 One year. Yeah. You know, it's all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might go. I might go to prison someday. I, I, I still have no idea. The cards are still out on that. Yeah. So, um, but 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 that backstory, and then there's the part, and I, I think we have to come up with a different name for it. But there's the free work that you did too, mm -hmm. the models, the time you put in, entering a contest. Look, guys, you know, yesterday we were on with Pinup Jordan, and we were having a conversation um, about this very thing, mm -hmm. and she's like, guys. I don't get paid for my social media. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I get opportunities from it mm -hmm. and then those things lead to pay, but like I'm doing all this work. Mm -hmm. I'm, she's like, I make money at the salon. Right. You know? And then if I go teach a class, great. And there's an, you know, there's an income opportunity, but mm -hmm. that's all free work that, you know, people right. like Cheetah are <laughs> doing and, you know, Jordan and Sarai and, mm -hmm. and, you know, all these people that we've talked to. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I don't, I still don't know that that resonates with everybody that you got to do the back work mm -hmm. before you, before you can own the opportunity that you were given. So there, there are people that have been given the opportunity to get on stage and literally that happens once mm -hmm. and they, it doesn't work out, you yeah. know, whether they did, didn't feel good or mm. they didn't do good. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I, as a, as a education director, I've put people on stage before that were talented mm -hmm. in their hands, but when they got on stage, they just fell apart. Right. And it was the, one of the hardest things to watch as a person who wants to save that person. But the reality is, is, you know, again, I locked, you know, I, I, I sent a yard full of women back to their, you know, and had them locked down. I mean, 
that takes courage and it takes probably mm. almost equal the amount of courage I would imagine to stand up in front of a room full of your peers and you have to find that somewhere and that's the back work that you mm -hmm. can't teach you have to be able to look look everyone in the eye mm -hmm. Damn, I just went on a tangent I'm sorry them. you meet everyone and I do that I meet everyone in the room with my eyes and then we're all good now mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome because you have to be able to share what you're doing you just like you said like you don't want them feeling uncomfortable for you yeah. you want them to feel comfortable so you got to get comfortable with them so you just gotta so you start this um you start using social media to you know elevate yourself you're building this portfolio you're getting work yes you know i have to say this because it's it's amazing there's 77,000 followers on your Instagram page. Yeah. How'd that happen? Um, you know, I, there's a couple of times I had a video of something that I tried that went viral that got me, you know, maybe a couple five to 10,000 there. Um, mm -hmm. but it's other than that, it's just consistent work. Um, sharing, staying focused, on my brand and what and why I have this social media account and what it is I want to share, you know. Um, for a while, everyone just wanted to get reposted, you know. I got reposted a lot too, um, but you do have to rebrand yourself and you do have to stay true to who you are. Um, and the reason, I mean, there could there could be people that say like, I would like to see more blondes out of you, or you know. Yeah. It's, those are things that I share on my stories and um, I interact with people on that. Um, but I like to share my creative soul on my, my page and lots of people like to share other things, but that's just what has worked for me. And not only that it's worked, it, it's made me feel good. So if it's making me feel good, then I feel like that comes through and makes other people feel good when they see it. You said that when you're in a room, you know, teaching a class, you'd like to look at everybody in the eye, right? And you make that connection. Are you able to do that on social media? Or do you have a different methodology for connecting with that person? And I don't mean you literally get to look at them in the eye when you're on, uh, on Instagram, right? But how do you build that connection with people? I mean, you said you, you respond to DMs. People send you messages. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of gotten harder, you know, with, um, well, with Instagram specifically, because they're cutting out a whole lot, maybe more than three quarters of what your audience sees. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I just write in my caption, I share a little bit in my captions, I feel like that kind of helps. Um, I do share a lot more of like some personal things. If it's still doesn't cross that boundary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I'm going to go off on a small tangent. Yeah. There are a couple people on Instagram that drive me crazy, right? And what I mean by drive me crazy is I feel as though they overshare, right? And so I'll come across my feed and I'll be like, oh, not this person. They just overshare and I just want to skip through it. But then I look at the views and I look at the likes and they got like 100,000 views of what I just thought was like, God, I can't watch another minute of this, you know? It's because people like the juice. People love it. Yeah. It's like you either do or you don't. And honestly, the the society, <laughs> our society loves the juice. So whether okay. or not it makes people like you and me cringe sometimes, 
I mean, and yeah, I can't even tell you how much I hold back, even though yeah. like, and I, it's probably from my prison guard days, but I hold back yeah. so much. I have so much juice and I am not sharing it. It's a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of want to move into a little bit of, you know, that connection piece. I want to move a little bit into process now. So, so when you're out there teaching now, what are some hot topics that you're teaching on? Um, and maybe some common messages that you find yourself sharing, um, more of right now. What I'm finding that is really surprising to me is that people, and I guess they always will be, but I, you know, there's a difference between advanced education, like hair mm -hmm. color education and just hair color education. And sometimes people just need, they need you to talk about the basics as well when you're teaching advanced because people just forget or, you know, they, they don't even think about it. So I feel like it's important to bring up those basic things in the beginning of the class so that we're all on the same page and people's mind starts to think. Um, I mostly, I teach, you know, creative color, but the thing a lot of people don't realize is that you have to pre-lighten the hair for it to accept the direct dye um, and to stick. And a lot of people um, want to know about the lightening process. Um, I don't know why I like to do this. I like to be difficult, but I love sharing what I do behind the chair because I get a lot of clients with thick hair like mine um, that are, you know, Asian, Hispanic descent. Um, and I like to show that because I feel like if I can teach you that, then you're going to be able to lift your, your natural level sevens with ease, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I like to share that in the classes. Um, also, a lot of people recently are tired of the same color techniques, which I think that they would be with any color class. Um, sure. So I, I've gotten a lot of that, you know, can you show me something new? So what I like to show them and share with them is ways to get inspired and to think outside of the box and to try different color um, placements and techniques. Um, by looking at nature or art. Um, most recently, I brought, do you guys remember the God's Eye? Did you ever make a God's Eye in craft? Yeah, we're kid. Absolutely. Yeah. I love you right now for that. <laughs> so very, so very no. few people know about the God's Eye that we would like learn at camp or, you know. Do you know about it, Chris? No idea. First time I've ever heard the statement. The God's eye is, it has a native descent to it. Um, the natives, it comes from their, you know, background. But in school or in camp, you would put two um, popsicle sticks together like a cross. And then you would weave around it, which it becomes with string when it becomes the, you know, the diamond shape of colors. Mm -hmm. So I took that and found inspiration in that to do color placement on the head you know different things like that you can so in my classes i like to share different out of the box creative color placements i also tell people when you're working with direct dye you don't have to do what you see everyone else doing you can use a color placement that you saw somebody do with natural colors in a class or you know just pops of color here and there go back to like what someone taught 
you know, in the 80s, go back to what somebody taught, you know, in the 90s in a certain color class that you already took, pull up that stuff and recreate it with fashion colors. Right. Mm -hmm. Love that. So talk a little bit about what are some of those foundational lessons that you see people that slipping people's mind that come up in that first segment of class that you find yourself revisiting, maybe even surprised that people forget or don't take into consideration? Um, it would be the whole lightning process, understanding um, a lot of people are wowed that I do not use anything over 20 volume. I take my time and I actually don't use heat anymore. And that's something that I've learned from doing hair shows. Um, and I like to share that because especially in a busy salon, with all the heat lamps and the hood dryers going on and people want to, you know, focus on, you know, double booking and triple booking and they want to like, you know, speed up that lightning process for numbers. But in reality, you don't need the heat. We know that it's safer to go slower um, for the hair and you're going to keep that client because they're going to have beautiful, consistent blonde hair and it's not going to have that breakage or that, you know, opportunity to break. Um, I talk about that. Um, also, a lot of people, when they got to like, just stay focused on the color wheel. The color wheel is so important. When you're bleaching hair to yellow and you want blue, you got to pre-tone that. You got to put that, you know, lavender in there and pre-tone it so that that blue will catch and not turn green. But they're just, and it sounds so simple, but we don't think about it. We get so caught up in, oh, I'm just going to put this color on there. Um, so yeah, I teach things like that. Mm -hmm. Pre-toning is a, is a new concept to a vet. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll say that because we didn't tone, or we, yeah. we toned one time back, yeah. in, back in the day. And there's a lot of, I'm finding a lot of our um, real seasoned people, when they learn, you mean you can you tone it twice? Mm-hmm. It's like, and it really, it, it was a learning for me this year. Mm -hmm. I, I'd never even thought about pre-toning because it wasn't a part of the, right. you know, thing. So that's, that's a really big skill. And I'm just going to share with you that that's a big skill. If you have a group of people that have been doing <laughs> hair for more than 20 years, mm -hmm. because it wasn't, that's new. It is. Ish. And you know, yeah. one thing that's surprising is when I, um, I did a campaign with L'Oreal a couple years ago when they first brought out their direct dye. And they had, um, and they had platform artists from all over the world, um, very seasoned, very talented, but it just opened up my eyes to, because I had heard from other like seasoned hairstylists that didn't understand that direct dye didn't need a developer, you know, and didn't understand the whole concept. So that was new as well. And it still is new to a lot of hairstylists. So just realizing that everyone is at a different point in you know in their career and there's some things that they have forgotten there's some things they haven't addressed and so when they're in your class making sure that you're aware of where everybody is coming from and what they want to learn i have a silly question is your husband still working at the jail no yeah. you know he he quit um after a year after i left and yeah. um honestly i never thought about it I never thought about how dangerous it was or anything until it was his last day. And I really was like, wow, we made it out alive. But I never thought that before, but I was so happy that he didn't, that he was out. 
That's awesome. Well, wow. congratulations to you both. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, dude, this has been an amazing conversation so far. You got any last... Uh, you know, I just love this. You know, I think the cheetah taught us some... I'm going to go back to the gift thing, yeah. right? You know, it was a gift to meet you at the Thrive event in Phoenix because um, not that we're surprised to meet cool people because we are. I mean, we get to do that. But you're a gift today, especially. You reminded us of so many things that are important. You know, your story about the jail, your story about, you know, all the things you learned along the way so that by the time you were 36 years old and decided to commit to being a hairdresser, you know, all those lessons piled up and, and have done you so well for now. And um, I just thank you for reminding of us of all that. So thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Cheetah, what we love to do at the end of our conversations is just, you know, we have hair school students. Yep. We have, you know, uh, all all different levels of hairstylists and spa people as well as salon owners and cosmetology, uh, or cosmetology school teachers that listen to us. Um, you know, any, anything you feel like we're leaving on the table in this conversation or anything you kind of, uh, just feel like we need to say before we sign off? Um, I too, I want to share something that I hope will be very inspiring to all the cosmetology students and teachers and hairstylists out there who are thinking that maybe it's a lot of hard work to put in for your social media. Um, but one of the most rewarding things about it has been um, one day I received a couple, I think it was in 2016, I received an email, um, which they got off of my Instagram from a um, TV producer. And they wanted me to audition to do hair. I mean, like to do hair on a reality TV show. Um, they asked me if I wanted to be a contestant or a teammate. I just wanted to be anything. I just wanted to be on TV sharing what I love to do. Um, I made it all the way through and I was on TV and it was a reality show and it was, um, 11 episodes. I made it with my, um, the contestant. He was a makeup artist. We made it to the season finale. I oh. made a best friend out of it. Um, you know, like me, this, this little girl from this farm town in California and, you know, all of my careers that I've had and struggles I've had, and I could have doubted myself and just, you know, reinventing myself and having the, the balls to do it and just say yes to like so many opportunities, even though I was scared, you know, I was scared, but just didn't show it. And <laughs> Um, it's just brought so many opportunities, you know, um, and so many just events that I couldn't, I just have to say, you don't know what's out there for you and you need to just do what makes you happy and just do, just express yourself, learn, take all the education you can and keep taking all the education you can. Even when you become an educator, you need to educate yourself on how to become an educator and you need to still take education to share and inspire. So um, I just say go for it. Thank That's you beautiful. That. Thank you very much. Every time we have one of these conversations, I walk away with a little bit more than I knew before I came in and I love that about these podcasts. Yeah, it's amazing. 
Uh, we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners. You know, we, we, we're watching those listens go up. We crossed the 20,000 mark just recently. Um, there, I, we, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five-star reviews. You got the phone in your hand. It's down by your lap. I don't care where it is. But it's not that far away from you. Five-star reviews. You know you want to do it. You know you love this podcast. Share it with the world because every time you create a five-star review, an angel gets gets his wings. (laughs) Did you know that? Yeah. And while that angel is getting his wings, it helps us move up. Um, You know, it helps us get more noticed in the podcast world. Helps share the message. And if you're really being served by this, which we hope you are, um, you know, we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on Instagram at 124.go as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at 124.go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories and we'll do the same uh, in ours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye.